0: Hello, Hello, horror horror fanatics. fanatics. I'm Frank. And
1: I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh, the the horror. horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy.
1: If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe or follow to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts.
0: You can do that. You can. You can. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at O-T-H at SeriouslyDecent.com. And you can check out our website, OtheHorrorPodcast.com. You know, connect up to uh, the back catalog. You can check out... uh,
1: You can link to your favorite... uh,
0: Social media. uh, Platform. Podcast platforms. Of choice, yeah. Yeah, we try to be on everything. So, you know, as we always say it, we're not on your preferred podcast platform let us know and we'll be more than glad to get uh, on there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think we we did a lot of heavy lifting in the front end.
1: I hope to so. To do this. Well, <laughs> I,
0: I look back at that like starting this. Yeah. And like I'm not going to say it was an arduous task, but there was just it was a an lot of task. There was just a lot of details, you know? Yeah. It's things you don't think about and things you don't consider and Yeah. You know, I I uh, have no pity for the ones that are spoiled, that just hop into this and you know, do a podcast, and they just have like a admin. Yeah, they just
1: record, and then somebody no, else. No, they takes just have an admin everything. to take yeah. care
0: of everything, and you know they don't even record. They just walk in a room and bullshit. Staff takes care of yeah. all that stuff. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of work.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: I mean, we got a nice system now, but we even do. even that, like, I realized, you know, because last week was the first time we did this since early November. Yeah. And uh, I realized like I didn't do any posting on Instagram or anything like that or, you know, on X, which I was doing, you know, it's so hard to get back into the routine of things. Yeah. And that's what I realized. Like after this whole bit with my mom's passing, it's the routine. Like I had this very, very great routine Mm -hmm. and I liked it. Mm -hmm. I loved it. It was comfortable. It was peaceful. Yep. Then you have this event that comes in It disrupts, the disrupts everything. It disrupts the people around you. It disrupts all this just like ecosystem, you know, yeah. and uh, and slowly you start piecing it together and you, you get it together. But like this last week, I'd say the last week or two has been the closest to routine I could get. Yeah. You know. Cause yeah. like last week we went to adoration on Wednesday that yep. was really in my craw to go back yep. to doing that and getting back with the men's group on the weekend and, yeah you know, continuing mass together, yeah you know, cause there was a lot of times you would do like the Saturday, but I'd still be out of town and then I'd come in Sunday and, you know, then I'd have mass and then we'd like talk about it after, but it was separate, you know, yep. like I know just being at mass yesterday Just sitting with you, there was a lot of peace with me that just Mm -hmm. we were doing that together. Yeah. And um what I found, this new habit I've developed, clenching my jaw and sleep. So I had all of this jaw pain for the last month at least. Um, and just toothaches and pains and gum pains, and it was traveling all over. So it's not like I don't have enough apparatuses when I go to sleep with a CPAP machine. (laughs) I finally buckled down and got a mouth guard, mm-hmm. and holy crap, oh, what a difference. I've been just sleeping throughout the whole night mostly. Mm-hmm. A lot of my aches and pains are starting to go away. My dreams have been off the chain, which no, I know I haven't been sleeping well. Yeah. And so now I think I'm really starting to process all this stuff. And what I found the last like three, four, three days, mm-hmm. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I am tired every single day. Mm-hmm. And I'm still trying to get all this stuff done that I want to get done and, mm-hmm. th- you know, and then just keep doing things that I've been doing. But yeah, I just, I realize now I need like a good, just like week of um, just standard protocol. You know, I just, I, I, there really is something, something to say about having routine. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like yeah. I, I took it for granted the routine that I had and how peaceful it was and how much mm-hmm. peace it brought. Yeah. And it's tough because you can't do routine too long. Otherwise you get stagnant. Right. You know, and you don't grow. Right. But, but yeah, for a while there I had like the sweet spot where I had routine, but I had these little pockets of things where I'd read a lot or mm-hmm. I'd do this or that and and grow. And then, yeah, you just get an event like this and it just flips the whole game table over. And, yeah, I, I could see where people having a loss, it reminds me of how it could be hard to pick back up the pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially if it's someone close to you, because, yeah, I mean, I've I've told you a couple of times, like with mom, it's, it's tough because, like, I was calling her four times a day. Yeah, I know. On the last, like, three, three months or so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, to just cut that off mm-hmm. and never have a conversation again. Yeah, it's tough. And there's these little routine things. Like, if I was to drive out to a district, normally on the way back home, I call her up. Yeah. Hey, yeah, how you doing? doing. Yeah. You know. And so I'm driving, I'm like, oh, what do I do now? (laughs) What do I do? Do the rosary, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. And that's what I've learned, too, is I'm I'm getting closer and closer to God, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's helping me. Um, I could see where it helps a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to think that that was just something people did to make them feel better, but it's so much more in my situation now. It's not to make myself feel better, but. It's to be a better person Mm -hmm. overall and and handle this. And then I feel like I could maybe pass that on or along to somebody else who's having a real hard time, you know. But, yeah, loss of a family member is tough. It is. You know, I mean, you've gone through it with your dad and, you know. And it's one thing when you have aunts and uncles and things like that. But a parent, yeah, it's tough because they've always been around. Yeah. For good or for less. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, and then I'm at just at the
1: end of the day, it's your mom or your dad.
0: Yeah. But also at the end of the day, what I'm really proud of and and, and glad and blessed with is that it was on good terms yeah. between the two of us. Yeah. You know, there wasn't any animosity, there mm-hmm. wasn't any regret or there wasn't that conversation that I wish I had. Right. You know, even that last week when she was you know degrading down i was able to have a couple of conversations with her mm-hmm. even in the limited capacity to just say say what we had to say and um yeah i i know there's people that don't get to go through that and my prayers are with you cuz that's tough it is you know tough. it's a tough thing to to live through or there's some that just never even knew their parent mm-hmm. you know and they never will you know it's um yeah it's it's tough out there at times but You know what's real tough? Being a resident at Danvers State Hospital. That was tough, too. And we're going to talk about that. We are. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, for sources, have uh, DanversStateHospital.org.
1: Sames. Yeah. yeah, Samesies.
0: And then I did a few, like, All That's Interesting and, you know, all these kind of other Mm kind of areas just for opinions on things. And that's pretty funny to see, too. Um,
1: Well, I mean, here's the thing. Most all of the state hospitals yeah. all started out with the best of intentions every
0: single one of them.
1: And for a and for a while, yeah they were. they were good. yeah and they were filling a need. they were helping people like it it was a legit resource. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, but we even um, we did Waverly Hills. We did earlier yeah. so if you're interested in this uh, this subject matter, Mm-hmm. so to speak. This isn't our first rodeo. Uh, Waverly Hills uh, Sanitarium was the first one we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, I checked, it was episode 141 uh, for those that are, uh, you know. Tracking. Tracking and, or, you know, want to hear more about the subject, you know, yeah. as, as we explain it. But no, you're so right. You know, it just, they, they had the best intentions. It wasn't like a, um, a disappointments room. You know, like right from the get go. We should really do you know. an
1: episode on disappointment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that'd be a good combo one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, so who do you have?
1: I just have danforth State Hospital. Yeah. That'll work.
0: It was interesting their take on their site because their site has some good information. But uh, if you go through their history, just their history, they don't have one bad sentence about the hospital, which I found incredible. I found it incredible and I found it bold, uh, you know, that they wouldn't say any kind of bad thing at all about it. It makes
1: total sense to me. uh, It's It's in Massachusetts.
0: (laughs) It's not just Massachusetts, but it's just like state governments. Like they just can't, you know, oh, we can't tell anybody about that. It's like everyone knows, but we still can't tell people about that. Yeah, I really
1: just have the data from danvers state hospital Mm -hmm. it once occupied a hilltop site of over 500 acres that i did not know was how many acres it was oh yeah with a commanding view of boston 18 miles to the south it's been variously known as hathorn hill porter hill and dodges hill the commonwealth of massachusetts purchased the site in 1874 from francis dodge And it was covered with established oak, pine, and apple groves. The State Lunatic Hospital. And for those of you that have a problem with the word, that's what it was called. That's what it was. That's what it was. The State Lunatic Hospital at Danvers was erected under the supervision of prominent Boston architect Nathaniel J. Bradley. In an extremely rural, out-of-the-way location, the immediate crisis which precipitated the building of a mental hospital north of Boston was the imminence of, in the early 1870s, of the closing of the facility at South Boston. In 1873, Worcester, Taunton, and Northampton, and the 1866 Tewksbury Asylum for Chronic Patients were already housing 1,300 patients in buildings designed for a thousand. Another 1,200 were scattered about in various other hospitals. So they're like,
0: oh, see a need?
1: Fill a need. They had
0: a massive population problem with this stuff. Yeah. And, and this, I hate to say, is going to happen again now. Yes. It's happening now. Yeah. Where you yeah. have people that aren't well, quote unquote. Yeah.
1: The ones that they released from all the hospitals know. in the 80s because, well, you know.
0: Yeah. But I mean, honestly, let's have a real honest discussion with that. That was 40 years ago. So it's not like that happened just 10 years ago or five years yeah, ago. Yeah, but they didn't do shit. Well, no, what they did is they they do have some of these hospitals in some regards. So that's kind of kept going on the DL. Here's another thing that you're going to have to, you know, also give props to. Prescription drugs have mm-hmm. actually helped some of these people. Yeah, Um The funny part is, is you'll never hear any percentages on that. You won't hear any kind of thing, you know, things to that nature. What you end up getting is a growing homeless problem. They also had people in prisons and prisons were actually the switch for this. They just literally went from, you know, because it's funny, the verbiage, if you look into it, they're like they dispersed them out to other hospitals. But then what they won't tell you is those hospitals closed down too. And then eventually what they'll say, usually the verbiage is, is they were uh, they were introduced back into the community. Mm-hmm. That's the framing. That's the wording that they say for a lot of these yeah. sanitariums, lunatic hospitals, asylums, what have you, these state run places that they were reintroduced back into the community, which just means they just kicked them out the door mm-hmm. and they're left there. So this is what you end up having is they commit or crimes. My nephew
1: says bye.
0: Yeah, but they commit crimes <laughs> And, and they end up in jails and prisons yeah. and, and things like that. Yeah. And so e- between all of that, homelessness, other institutions, prisons, it's dispersed out, but it's getting to be another problem now. Yeah. And the big problem that they had with this bit in Massachusetts, and it's, I think, a timely topic that we didn't talk about this in November and that we're talking about it now. Everybody has an increased awareness in the In this in the country that there is a border problem Mm -hmm. down south Mm -hmm. and you have this massive influx of immigrants, massive influx. And what you have now is a situation where you have a lot of people that you don't know what to do with. Right. You have people that do have mental problems. Mm -hmm. You do have people that are sick or they came over here with the expectations of a certain situation and that didn't work out. Right. And so now they're being desperate and doing things and they're losing their minds, so yeah. to speak, or they get caught into drugs. But this was what kept this as well. They had a massive immigration problem and they had all these people that were a burden onto the healthcare system and they had to figure out what to do with it. And again, with the best intentions of the world, they're like, let's build this place just like Waverly Hills. Yeah. Self-sufficient. Yep. On a ton of property. Yeah. We'll have, you know, staff here will have schools that teach the staff i mean they basically built a whole town
1: yeah it included space for patients attendance and administration reflecting a centralized approach to care later buildings were added such as the male and female nurses homes that represent the segregation of patients and staff the male and female tubercular buildings and the bonner medical building represent specialization of medical treatment The cottages, repair shops, and farm buildings represent an increased self-sufficiency for the hospital, with an emphasis on occupational therapy and increased dispersal of the hospital population. The circumferential and interior roadwork network serviced the entire complex. So, like you said, they made their own.
0: They literally made their own community in their own town, which again. Not a bad idea. Nope. You know, I mean, it, it, again, best intentions. Yep. Everything seems great.
1: The hospital opened May 1st, 1878, and the hospital's first patients arrived on May 13th. Dr. Kelvin S. May was appointed superintendent through 1880. Previous to Danvers, Dr. May was an assistant physician at the Connecticut Hospital for the Insane from 1874 to 1877, and for 1877 was acting superintendent. While Danvers was originally established to provide residential treatment and care to the mentally ill, its functions expanded to include a training program for nurses in 1889 and a pathological research laboratory in um, 1895. By the 1920s, the hospital was operating school clinics to help determine mental deficiency in children. During the 1960s, as a result of increased emphasis on alternative medicine uh, methods of treatment and deinstitutionalization in community-based mental health care, the inpatient population started to decrease. Danvers State Hospital closed on June 24, 1992, due to budget cuts within the mental health system by the former governor, William Weld. That surprised me that it was 1992. When it was closed. It was a
0: long time because they had, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Yeah, they still had residents through there. I think towards the end, it was just uh, about like 300 residents there that they were trying to figure out what to do with. Which, I mean, you got to imagine like 300 residents in a huge place like that. Mm sprawling yeah just 500 acres yeah massive sprawling place with just 300 people and you just can't function in that regard you know i mean that really creates a a strange scenario but at some point yeah if if things aren't working out and you've got to make cuts yeah and plus this is where uh you know at this time yeah, I mean, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Was out like fifteen years prior to that, mm-hmm. and you know that was when the light started getting onto all this. And family members are like, "Yeah, don't send people over that place. The place is fucking crazy, yeah. you know." And it's like, "Yeah, it's crazy because it's full of fucking crazy, crazy people. people." Yeah, <laughs> what did you think was going to yeah, happen? Yeah, but as we'll get later into this, it's it's the staff that ends up becoming a big issue.
1: Dr. Thomas Story Kirkbride, who served the Pennsylvania Hospital as a superintendent from 1841 to 1883, created a humane and compassionate environment for his patients and believed that beautiful settings restored patients to a more natural, quote, balance of the senses. Dr. Kirkbride's progressive therapies and innovative writings on hospital design, along with management, became known as the Kirkbridge Plan which influenced, in one form or another, almost every American state hospital by the turn of the century, including Danvers. The town's inability to cope with a rapidly rising and undigested antisocial population was not the only impetus behind state involvement in mental health. Another important component was the move away from demonology toward moral treatment of the insane, a cause which was loudly and publicly championed by such social reformers as Boston's Dorothea Lynde Dix, Her energetic career, lasted from 1841 to 1887, had significant local as well as national and international impact.
0: Yeah, and this is where you get this transfer of, you know, demonology was largely like the treatment with stuff like that. Again, people didn't know what to do with people like this. Yeah. And a lot of people were involved in their church. Yeah. And so they'd be asking the church and the clergy, like, yep. what, what do, do we I do? do about this? Yep. And everybody's trying to figure out the best way. And then, you know, we've talked about this before in the past, where you have this, um, you know, science is starting to gain momentum, especially medical science, the medical field, you know, and and in this period where they're talking about this, you know, about a hundred years prior to 150 years prior, the advancements of medical is moving at a fast rate under the scientific method. Mm -hmm. And so you see this branch now where people are like, you know what, we did this. We we don't like where it's heading. Let's give this a try. Let's give the medical industry a try and let's have this, you know, see if this is an option. Now, I could definitely see where people would get like that in that time period. Mm -hmm. You know, it totally makes sense.
1: At mid-century, the humanistic approach toward care of the insane was generally accepted. Yeah. Uh, controversy still surrounded the form or building arrangement such institutions should assume. Some heavily represented on the State Board of Charities favored the dispersion of the dependent as opposed to their congregation. In other words, they wanted to spread them out instead of housing them all together in one space. The other faction in the controversy, which found many supporters in the Association of Medical Superintendents, favored a large, highly centralized complex. Chief proponent of the centralized plan was Thomas S. Kirkbridge, MDLLD, 1809 to 1883, founder of the American Psychiatric Association, physician to the Pennsylvania State Hospital for the Insane, and friend of Dorothea Lind Dix. Kirkbridge devised a specific institutional model there and thereafter known as the Kirkbridge Plan, which was built upon in all 30 states then in existence and in several European cities. H.H. H. Richardson, for example, built a variation of the Kirkridge Plan Hospital in Buffalo, New York in the early 1870s in cooperation with Frederick Law Olmsted. Danvers State Hospital, originally known as the State Lunatic Hospital at Danvers, was significant in both architectural and social history. Designed in 1874 by NJ Bradley, noted Boston architect. It's an implementation of this recognized Kirkridge plan. When built, it represented the latest contemporary advances in technology and engineering, as well as architecture. Later additions reflect changes in mental health care philosophy and contribute to an understanding of the overall functioning of the hospital. Historically, Danvers State Hospital was significant for its leading role in treatment of the insane, including an advanced occupational therapy program, early training facilities for staff, and a long-term concern with community health issues. Thus, Danvers State Hospital possessed the integrity of location, design, setting, materials, and workmanship. Concerns for the disadvantaged, including the poor, the sick, and the mentally disturbed, it was recognized as a responsibility of the public sector in Massachusetts since its early 17th century settlement period. So until the mid-19th century The charge for their care rested primarily with the towns in which they resided through locally established poor farms. As the town's duties in this regard became unwieldy and largely unfulfilled due in part to the pressures of immigration and rapidly increasing numbers of unsettled poor, the state stepped in first establishing the Board of Commissioners of Alien Passengers, which can we go back to that? Instead of calling them immigrants, can we just call them alien passengers? In 1851 and in 1863, the Board of State Charities, though still administratively combined, different facilities and types of care were gradually provided to victims of varying types of misfortune. For example, by 1863, three state hospitals specifically were built to care for the insane at. Worcester in 1877, Taunton in 1854, and at Northampton in 1856. The Kirkbridge Plan provided that mental state hospitals should, one, be built in the country, though accessible at all seasons, two, be set on grounds of at least 100 acres, three, house a maximum of 250 patients, four, Be built of stone or brick with slate or metal roof and otherwise made as fireproof as possible. Five, be composed of eight wards separated according to sex and built according to other specifications as to size, location, and material of accommodations. Six, be organized with wings flanking a central administrative building. Seven, housed the most excited patients in the rear or Outermost wings. Because they
0: were so eager to be there.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and eight, provide an abundance of pure, fresh air. Kirkbride's hospitals were intended as monuments to the belief that most insane are curable and thus that the function of the hospital is primar- primarily curative and not custodial.
0: Yeah. They- and that's the flaw yes. of the whole thing. You yes. know, and we talked about this with, I think, Waverly Hills a little bit, but... And this is a problem that we have today where there's this curable approach to things. Mm -hmm. And it's like not everything can be cured Cured. Mm -hmm. by some sort of process or whatever. And I'll bring this statistic up that I've brought up many times, but like the show Interventions, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a show that went on for years. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, I think, over, I think, 12 years, something Mm -hmm. like that, the show went on. And they have the best data for substance abuse right. that no one wants to listen to. Right. You know. Yeah. So you have this situation where you have these people that have an intervention with their love loved ones. Yep. And they say, "Okay, I'm going to go for treatment," and they go literally to these five star. Yeah. Treatment resorts. I yeah. mean, these are the best that money can buy. Yeah. They don't have to They're pay anything the best for the best. It. They are literally getting the best treatment. And after all those years, they looked at all of it, and I think it was 60 to 70% relapsed. Yeah. That only 20%... Actually
1: had success. It's under
0: 30%. Yeah. Like, actually carried through and went through it, through all those years. Right. Nobody wants to talk about that. You know, so now when you build a situation like this, where you have this big compound... Right. There's no other way to really put it, but this massive compound, and they have this intent in their head... And, of course, they didn't have all that data then. And here's the thing. Maybe they did, but they just didn't yeah. want to, you know, hope can be great, but hope can also be very dangerous. Yes. And and this was exactly like I was reading this on the site and I caught that same thing where it's like, cure, you know, the, the primary function of the hospital was to be curative and not custodial. Right. And the problem was is that's exactly what it became was custodial. Because none of these people were getting fixed. Mm -hmm. All the treatments they did weren't working. And instead of stopping right there and saying, we got a bad idea. Nope. Let's try more intense uh, therapies. Let's try more radical therapies. Let's, you know, double down on this. And then it ended up becoming a shitstorm.
1: That curative process was to be greatly enhanced by pleasant surroundings, fresh air and pure water. Fully developed Massachusetts examples of the Kirkbride plan exist at Danvers and at Worcester.
0: Yeah, it was at a nice beach. Turns Turns nest. Nest.
1: The immediate crisis which precipitated um, was, again, these scattered people. In 1870s, they closed the city facility at South Boston. By 1873, Worcester, Taunton, and Northampton, and the 1866 Tuksbury Tew- Asylum for Chronic Patients were already housing 1,300 patients. Again, in facilities designed for a thousand, another 1,200 scattered about in these less specialized institutions. And in that year, authorization was given for the State Lunatic Hospital at Danvers. It was to serve primarily Essex County patients and to accommodate an overflow from South Boston. Of at least 200. Bradley's design for Danvers State Hospital was based on his unbuilt 1867 plan and 1868 plan for an insane asylum at Winthrop. Many locations were picked, including Nahant, Chelsea, Dorchester, and Roxbury. But the state purchased land in Winthrop. After numerous appeals to relocate Winthrop to another location, Danvers was finally chosen. A logical choice of the Danvers commissioners in December 1873, he prepared for his project by researching hospitals at Worcester, Mass., Poughkeepsie, New York, Concord, New Hampshire, Philadelphia, Trenton, and one under construction at Morristown, New Jersey. On this basis, he asked for $900,000, almost half again what the commissioners had allotted in April, and picked draftsman James F. Ellis to be superintendent um, architect during its construction. The Danvers site was originally 197.25 acres and was purchased for $39,542.50. Chosen for its beauty, privacy, view, and farming potential, 18 miles north of Boston, two miles west of Danvers, seven miles from the coal port at Salem. Shout out Salem. <laughs> <laughs> Accessibility to visitors and a supply of heating fuel were also deciding factors. The the quote-unquote Swans Crossing Station, later renamed Asylum Station, on the Lawrence Branch of the Eastern Railroad, sat on the northern border of the track. Under the supervision of Lynn Engineer Charles Hammond, an overall site plan was drawn up, locating the main building on the crown of Hawthorne Hill and providing also, for a support network of roads and room for a farming operation, bitter controversy over the building of Danvers State Hospital centered around its configuration, ornamentation, and cost. Construction began May first, eighteen seventy-four. Eventually, cost a whopping one million four hundred sixty-four thousand nine hundred forty dollars and fifty-seven cents. Can we just talk about eighteen seventy-four? Can
0: we just talk about how much money that really is? One and a half million in seventy four. Seventy four. Yeah, that's insane.
1: That is insane. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I get why they'd be pissed because they're like, "Yo, man, yeah, that's a lot of it's a lot of dollar dollar bills."
0: But again, like I said, it's it's very timely that we're having this conversation. You have, basically the code that you just read there was everybody in Boston is tired of all these people in there. Right. They got to go.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: I mean, I'm just going to get right down to the heart of the conversation here. That's exactly what happened. You had all these people in Boston mm-hmm. and you had people are like, look, these people got to go. Yeah. Get them out. Get them out. And you're having the same conversation now with New York City. Yep. All the major cities. Yeah. You're having this conversation. You got all these people here. They can't work. They can't do anything. What do we do with them? You know, yeah. it's the same conversation. Mm-hmm. And then. If they're living on the street, living on a street's not a conducive environment. No. You're going to be mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. So it's just this perpetual problem yeah. that's gaining steam. It's cyclical. And you've got people that are like, look, we need some sort of fixer mm-hmm. answer by the, you know to this. And so they build this massive place with it thinking, well, we'll cure them. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll cure what Bring ails them, them in, and like we'll I said, I mean, them, send them back. It's out. the best intentions of the world. It would have been you know. great if it worked. Oh, if it worked, it would have been amazing. It would have been revolutionary. Yeah. And it would have changed the world. You know, and unfortunately,
1: that's not, that's, <laughs> Spoil- this is oh the horror spoiler. Oh, the amazing? Spoiler
0: alert. Well, we talk (laughs) about amazing things on here. You know, (laughs) Four or five a year. Yeah. uh...
1: Many agreed that Danvers ranked among the foremost in, in its facilities for convenience and practical operation, its provisions for security, that purity of the atmosphere, which is necessary to the perfection of hygienic conditions, and in its general adaptation to the purpose for which it was intended. They lauded the plan, the style, the architect, and the thoroughness, and the penances of the work already performed. In 1877, an inquiry was held into cost overruns during which the issue of the hospital's style, dubbed domestic gothic by Bradley, inevitably surfaced. The commissioners defended their plans, which, when exhibited at the International Exhibition in Philadelphia, received the only award made to this country for plans for an insane hospital. Others lined up behind Senator Sanborn, who, calling it the Hospital Palace at Danvers, argued that even many a royal palace is neither so large nor so pretentious architecturally as the Hospital at Danvers. And this is Sanborn E.F., the Hospital Palace at Danvers, 1877. Pliny Earl, then superintendent at the State Lunatic Asylum in Northampton, decried the tend to excessive ornamentation and hospital architecture, preferring comfortable interiors to gorgeous exteriors suggesting that domes towers and turrets are very appropriately situated at universities like Harvard and Yale but are scarcely appropriate appropriate when they stand as monuments over the misfortune and the miseries of men <laughs> kind of have to agree yeah yeah <laughs> Lucy Sanborn the towers and turrets were in fact necessary to the building's ventilation system they were not Merely stylistic features. Yeah,
0: that's a history thing that I, I learned reading about uh like old forts and, and things like that. There's this defensive measure that like towers and turrets have. Right. But from an architectural design standpoint, they actually do promote drafts right. in structures. Yep. You know, it's pretty uh it's pretty crazy. So there is more reason than just looks for towers and turrets in that in that regard.
1: So the inv- investigating committee concluded that several errors in judgment had been made. While the hospital commissioners were superseded early as a reprimand, a $150,000 appropriation was awarded to allow the completion of construction.
0: You just spent on one and a half million. What's another? What's another? Hu- 150000 Another
1: buck fifty. Even
0: though 150000 then was like Probably five million bucks or yeah. something like the that. The
1: first patient was admitted May 13th, 1878. Provision of pure water, an important component in 19th century mental health therapy, was also the subject of argument during the construction and early years of the hospital. The nearby Ipswich River was explored early as a source. Ultimately, the town of Danvers, which had in 1874 established its own water supply from Middleton Pond at Willis Hill. Indicated its willingness to service the hospital's need needs as well. In 1876, an agreement was struck whereby the town would build its own intermediate reservoir on the grounds to supply a gravity feed system via a series of ten 5,000 gallon tanks in the attic. By the turn of the 20th century, Danvers State Let's Hospital. Just pause for a moment yes. there.
0: Typical state-run deal mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. Let's get this whole thing built. Let's get everything all straight. Oh, wait, the water. You know, something a little important like the water. All oh, this afterthought. One of the
1: very first things you do when you're now. When, when you're, you're
0: breaking ground somewhere. No, when you're know. assessing. No, that's what I'm site. saying. Before
1: like, you do anything, what's the you're water like, situation? Hmm, do we have water here? Yeah. Do we have to bring water in? Yeah. How are we bringing water in? Can we... You know, depending on where you are, do we have yeah. to drill a well? But it's Can go- we tap into the...
0: But it's built and gorgeous in there. Yeah. The draft's accounted for. Yeah. Oh, water. Crap. Forgot oh, about that. I knew we were forgetting something. <laughs> it's a total state-run deal, I tell you.
1: But, I mean, it's not like they had indoor plumbing then.
0: No, but, I mean, like, they they even say we're gonna here... We're going to walk like-
1: out to the creek. We're going to get our pails. We're going to scoop up our water. We're going to carry them back. And that's going to be part of your physical and occupational therapies. <laughs> no, but
0: they were also talking like that was an important component in 19th century mental health therapy. Yeah, it was good water. Yep, you know, good clean water. And again, this is from the Danvers site. site yeah, you know, I'm not pulling this off of like Jake's opinion on uh no. Danvers. This is this what,
1: isn't Bob's blog. Yeah,
0: this is again what Danvers standing by. And and of course, at this point, no bad news so far. No. You know, just a little squibble squabble with the building, but you know, yeah, here, here we Why'd are. Why'd you
1: have to make it so pretty? Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm sure that cost us money that we didn't need to spend.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got the water thing figured out. So whew, thank goodness.
1: By the turn of the 20th century, Danvers State Hospital had outgrown its site and facilities. Therefore, in 1902, an additional 100 acres straddling the towns of Danvers and Middleton were purchased, and a major building campaign was undertaken. 20th century additions to the hus- to the hospital reflect not only growth of the patient population but also an increased emphasis on occupational therapy and current theories of decentralized care. Large beams demolished were built as were new buildings for the men who helped out the farming venture, Grove Hall and Farm Hall, and for women chronic patients, Middleton Colony, 1903. In fact, After the very first year of its operation, once the layout was decided, roads, fences, piggery, corn barn, wagon shed, manure cellar, and apple orchard were in place. After only the second 50-cord of wood and 10,386 pounds of fresh pork were realized, the farm continued to grow and prosper and soon became a famous model. The Danvers onion, locally derived by the Gregory Seed Company, was among the many vegetables grown. Elaborate pleasure gardens were established adjacent to the Kirkbride complex to supplement recreational uh, therapy programs. In fact, the Danvers Seed Hospital was so remarkable that it attracted 12,000 yearly visitors as early as 1880. In addition to visiting patients, they brought contribution of books, magazines, and flowers, conducted religious services, and thus established a pattern of community involvement for which the hospital would later become noted. As originally established, the Danvers Hospital was to be run by a resident superintendent appointed by an unpaid lay board of trustees chosen by the governor. Central authority lay with the board of state charities. After 1879, the State Board of Health, Lunacy, and Charity And in 1898, the leadership role of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts radically advanced with the information of the State uh, Board of Insanity, the first in the United States, landmark legislation. One, took the poor out of the almshouses and put them under state control. Two, introduced occupational therapy and social services. And three, emphasized mental hygiene and called for professional training of nurses and attendants. So Danvers State Hospital becomes the leader of the implementation of these progressive and humanitarian tenets, becoming one of the most advanced institutions of its kind in the country, providing all practical means possible for intelligent treatments of insanity as a disease. Frankie Moynihan, publisher, Danvers, Massachusetts. And that's from the Danvers Mirror 1899. Danvers State made extensive early use of occupational therapy. In addition to working the farm and greenhouses, patients repaired facilities like the reservoir in 1912, dug tunnels like the one to the nurse's home in 1913, and built small buildings like the 1917 slaughterhouse built from patient made concrete blocks. They also made shoes participated in other crafts and Montessori kindergarten exercises. Patient crafts were sold to the public and exhibited, along with displays about the hospital's latest therapeutic techniques. Dude. How cool would it be?
0: To have a collection of that.
1: To get your hands on some of the crafts.
0: Some of the crafts and artwork. The, yeah. The noodle art. Yeah. You know... <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, and this is, in the beginning, it was a tremendous success. Right. I'm not going to take that away from the state of Massachusetts. Yeah. I'm not going to take that away from the Danvers State Hospital and, and whoever worked there at that time. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it was an incredible success. And that's, I think, people, people are so detached from what happened here, they don't know what happened. This model was the spread yeah. of these state hospitals Yeah, and lunatic asylums. Like, this was the model. Yeah. And and it was a success in the beginning.
1: They're like, you got to do it like this. So this everybody's is thinking,
0: this is, this is what we got to do. This is how we got to do it. So this is how all of this started, mm-hmm. you know. And again, you also have another problem, and this is something that was a product of prisons back in that time period as well, is you have... All of these patients, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. that are doing all the work. Yeah. Now, granted, from a therapy standpoint, it's nice. But if they're only doing that on the grounds, it's fair. Mm -hmm. But if they buy extra property and they have the patients do this, you got people that are doing this stuff for a living. Yeah. And now they're getting undercut, you know. I mean, now like a company get really excited about a state contract with something because, wow. Yeah, that's great. We got a locked in five year deal with the state to do this kind of work. And, you know, it's we already agreed on how much it's going to cost and so on and so forth. And this was a big problem with like prisons when they'd have the prisoners do all the work. You know, and you saw this in uh, Shawshank Redemption where, you know, the guy's having it and the guy slips him the money like, hey, do you think you can turn your your cheek to the other way and ignore this contract here? You know. And that's where, like, the payoffs come into play. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened there, but that's what happened at a lot of places with state hospitals and state institutions like this.
1: So the patient crafts were sold to the public and exhibited, along with displays about the hospital's latest therapeutic techniques at at exhibitions, like the Boston Mechanics Hall Textile Show in 1916 and the one at Stoneham in 1919. Mental and physical hygiene at Danvers State was guided by the most advanced contemporary thinking, despite epidemics such as the great outbreak of bacillary dysentery of 1908, in which 36 died. Primary ingredients in the program were recreational therapy, gardens, etc., fresh air supplied by an advanced ventilating system, and especially hydrotherapy. It was believed that the use of water baths to ameliorate the clogged condition of the brain would allow for the discontinuance of irritating restraints and depressing drugs, an advanced pathology department supported the hygiene effort. Danforth State Hospital established the second nursing school in Massachusetts in 1889 and the second nurse's home in the state, Gray's Gables, in 1898. It had already pioneered by being the first Massachusetts mental hospital to hire a, wor- a woman doctor in 1879, by the end of the 1920s, two large nurses' homes had been built on the property, one for female nurses, the other for male nurses. And the hospital was a leader in the area of community involvement from the start. As early as 1907, the superintendent was advocating a preventative mental health program, and in 1909, the Danvers series was inaugurated to share the results of research at the hospital. By 1912, there was an active community mental health program. From such beginnings grew the Massachusetts Plan, in which the state hospital is regarded as the center of mental hygiene and psychiatric activity throughout the district. At the same time the Massachusetts Plan was being popularized, 1938, the current Department of Mental Health was set up. It succeeded the Commission on Mental Diseases, which had replaced the State Board of Insanity in 1916.
0: Yeah. So when you go to the Danvers site, that's yeah. that's the history. That's what like, they give blur, you. you. know, but they don't talk about any of this stuff. You actually got to drill in and there's a downsizing report that they have on there where they start talking about like the teardown and how things of that nature were um, were taking place. And uh, and even there, they're pretty kind to themselves on what was going on. Uh, at these yeah, places. So like,
1: they've got a timeline and it says eighteen seventy four, they begin their construction. Yeah. And then in eighteen seventy six they're like, Oh shit, water. And that's <laughs> when they have their reservoir. Yeah. And then two years later the the hospital actually opens. And then in eighteen ninety eight it's renamed to Danvers Insane Hospital. And the second nurses home in Massachusetts, Gray Gables, is constructed. Mm-hmm. 1899, they introduce the hydrotherapy treatment. And then in 1903, the Middleton Colony is opened. And in 1927, Dr. Clarence uh, Bonner was announced as superintendent. And then in 1930s, they're like, oh, now the hospital is starting to suffer from severe overcrowding and lack of funding.
0: Yeah. So basically, like, you know, their first 20 years or so were really prosperous. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just, they were literally a success story. Like I was mentioning earlier, they employed like 125 people and they had treated uh, at this point, like 9,500 to almost like 10,000 patients, Um, uh, you know, since the opening. And again, they're getting this good reputation. And, um, you know, over, over the next 20 years of them, like, oh, this is the, the model, And this is the stuff to do. Problem was the hospital grew to over like 2000 patients. Yeah. And you got a capacity of a place of like 400, 500 people. Mm-hmm. And so this is where administrators were begging state for money to build more rooms and hire more staff to no avail. So I want to stop there and pause for a moment because this is the problem with this stuff where you're offering a service that doesn't generate revenue. Correct. This is just a fact of the matter of the world. Everybody can cry, oh, capitalism sucks, blah, 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 and all that stuff. But if you're not generating any kind of revenue, you're really getting into a losing position when you want to grow. Right. Like if you want to build something.
1: You're actually dependent on others to provide for your growth. Yeah,
0: you're prevented on a whole huge system and their kindness. Yeah. I'll say. But also their ability to to get to allow you to grow. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you, for example, you have a place like this. Um, I'm going to lump the education system in on this. Yeah. You know, the education system's the same. They don't make money. No, they don't generate their service is to educate kids. Right. These state hospitals, their service is to help
1: housing and an, m- Hopefully, hopefully, cure these
0: people? hopefully cure people, you know, but let's say they even had a very big success rate on that. And let's say they did cure people. They don't generate revenue, No, you know, because it's a state hospital. Mm-hmm. This was a, a spot where, you know, this is again where people say, oh, universal health care, it's going to work. And it's like it doesn't really work mm-hmm. as good as you think it does. I'm not going to say it doesn't work. Some places do have it working, but even like places out in, in Europe and out through there, you're now finding out people are buying additional private health care coverage because these universal programs right. are not covering certain services. Right. So now in order for you to get this service done, you either got to pay out of pocket for it, yeah, or you have to get supplemental,
1: supplemental, supplemental
0: private health insurance for yeah. this. So even this system's not working as good as it's so designed. And again, it's this bit where I keep going back to it. They don't generate any revenue. Right. So the problem is, and I and I say this with all sincerity, I'm not trying to be a difficult douchebag or anything. If this place stayed the same and just said, no, we only do 450 patients. Yep. We're not going to grow. Yep. This is what we do, you know we make buttons, we're going to continue to make buttons, you know, we're not going to be a clothes factory. We're not going to look into building cars. We're just going to make buttons. They would have been fine. But this is a problem you have with schools now. Schools are going off an antiquated budget system. I can only speak here for the states and specifically New York to a certain extent, because that's what I see all the time. But you have schools that are on a system of budget that they've been doing for the last, 30, 40 years plus mm-hmm. 60, 70 years. Now you're trying to introduce all of this technology yeah. into a school, which, hey, on the surface of it, it sounds great. I'm not I'm not digging it for that. But the fact is, is still schools were never designed for that. For that, because yeah. IT costs money. Yeah, it costs it a lot of money. Yeah. And that was the lie that all the IT people told everybody getting into it it's going to make things cheaper it's just like everything else it's going to make things cheaper it's going to make things more affordable it's going to be easier you know and now like it's in every business and every school and sure it's the way we run the world now but it's expensive yeah and i can speak on that on firsthand knowledge i've been in it for 20 years yeah it's expensive I'm expensive, Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just not even IT, just, just me, mm-hmm. just to get in there and work on stuff and deal with stuff. And, you know, you throw programmers in, you throw network people in, and then you've got the problem with, you know, oh, well, we can't talk to these technical people. So we need like a customer service success manager that can be the go-between interface, into, between. interface yeah. because I don't know how to talk to people. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I'm not going to go on that rant forever, but, but this is, this is what ended up happening. So, you know, they, they're this big success in their eyes, mm-hmm. but fiscally it pre- Promotes this challenge. Yeah. You know, they just spent all this money. That's why I was so glad we went through and talked about all that. One and a half million dollars in 1873. And then. 74. Yeah. Or
1: 1874. Let's see what the conversion rate is. Sure. You keep ranting. You know,
0: yeah. (laughs) And, you know, they spent all this money. And the state's like, okay, you guys have everything you need to do what you need to do. And then 20 years later, they start begging for more money. They're like, look, we're getting our asses handed to us here. We can't afford to do any of this. So they're begging for more money. So at this point, what are you going to have when you don't have enough money and you've got this massive institution that's overcrowded? Rules are going to slide. Rules are going to slack. And, and that's even what's happening with schools now. You've got teachers that are teaching more children than they're able to do or what they're, you know, they have the ability to do. Plus, they got to treat every kid as, like, separate little entities. You know, they can't just treat a classroom of 30, 40 people, let's say, all is the same. Everybody's got to have their own little thing, and they got to dance around with that. And if, oh, if they hurt their feelings at all, they get thrown to the wolves. How much is it?
1: What do you think it is?
0: All right. So what was it? One and a half million? Yep. Um, I'm going to go with uh, $8 billion. No? No. no?
1: It's fifty eight million nine hundred eighty nine thousand six hundred and fifteen dollars and thirty eight. So it's 60, 60 mil. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Still, it's a lot of money.
1: That was a lot of money back yeah, then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's sixty mil now. Which I mean, if you were to introduce something, that's why I'm 60 saying sixty mil
1: point five.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, and this is this is what people don't get. You know, like it just they, you know, that's why I'm I, I I'm happy to talk about these subjects because. People are so detached on this and they're so detached on how that would work. So they just sit there and say, well, why don't they just build this? It's like, all right, that'd be 60 million right now. You know, how the hell are you going to get that money, especially from a state driven initiative? Yeah. Where people are, you know, you get a state like ours in New York where people are fed up with taxes. Yeah. Fed up. We don't want to pay anymore. You know, we want to start seeing our money's worth actually Uh, now. Yeah. We'd like
1: to start seeing some return on investment. Yeah, across across the board. I always
0: told people, they're like, I don't know how you could live in New York, and it's like, well, it's complicated. I got family. I got this. I got you know a job and blah blah blah. Everybody's got this story, but here's the thing: I wouldn't mind paying the taxes if I could see it. Right. You know, if I could see it, I would have no problem paying for it. If I could see the ROI, the return of of investment. Right. But but that's what you're having a big problem with in New York right now is people aren't seeing any ROI at all. And they're no, like, what no, the hell am I spending not. all this money? And then they go somewhere on vacation where they find out that there's no income tax over there. Yeah. You know, and, and people are making, you know, a, a, a bit of money. I mean, just to put it into context for people that are out of state or even out of country, and say you're out of country thinking to visit the States and potentially moving to New York. Let's say you're a couple and you're making $200,000 combined and you think, oh, we're living a dream. You know, that's yeah. a, that's a great thing. It's like, well, if you were both making a combined income of $200,000, you're basically going to be paying $80,000 of that in income tax every single year, anywhere from 60 to 80,000, depending on what your situation is. And so even that, you sit there and say, oh, well, you know, it's 120000 still, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, okay, but everything costs more. Everything's expensive because everybody's paying a tax. Right. There's so much regulation on business to open and function, and that all comes in the form of a tax, you know, and and then you could, then you go to, uh, you know, say a vacation to a state or something like that that doesn't have income tax, and you sit there and do the quick math and be like, wow, if we just moved here, we would have 60 extra thousand dollars in our income working the same jobs doing the same thing these people have roads they have septic they have sewer they have water systems they have all this stuff that you know everybody's claiming this is what the taxes are paying over in this state you know and it, it it gets difficult you know so yeah they they need more money they can't get more money you got overcrowding yeah. And so now you get is you know you got patients that are walking through hallways naked. Yep. And they're living in their own uh, filth from lack of basic hygiene. Yep. This is what they're not going to tell you at the Danvers website. Right. And you know people weren't being cu- cured and even worse their symptoms are getting worse. Right. So now you've just got this perpetual problem. So now this you've gone from a place that had a really good success rate to where now you have this overcrowding problem. You're not getting any funding. The patients are getting worse. So, what are you going to do? You're going to get desperate. And this is where the shock therapy, the straitjackets come yep. into play. You know, they literally were doing straitjackets at these asylums in these state hospitals just to keep people in line. It wasn't to, so they wouldn't hurt themselves, right. it was just to keep order in there. And in
1: 1946, they introduced insulin coma therapy. Mm-hmm. In 1947, Marie Balter was admitted as a patient, and she was 17. She would spend the next 20-plus years there. Yeah. She was 38 when she was released in 1968. The first lobotomy was performed in 1948. In the 1950s, they introduced electroshock therapy. Mm -hmm. In 1955, chlorpromazine, or thorazine, was being used to treat schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders, and then in 1970, the Department of Mental Health starts the deinstitutionalization process. So now they're starting to
0: oh yeah, to yeah.
1: roll things back.
0: Yeah. But, you know, basically they were doing shock therapy. And, you know, honestly, what they were what they were hoping for is that it would just make the patient afraid of the therapy and shock them into submission. Right. I read a lot of like old school articles on that where they were. They were trying to use that as like a stick, right? you know, at, at this point, you know, and and so, you know, they would just uh, at, at this point, none of that's working. They just put them in straight jackets and they'd just be forgotten. Um, shock therapy, you know, obviously was a abysmal failure. And that's when the lobotomy started. You know, and they actually
1: did the lobotomies before the electric shock. Two years before they started doing it, they were doing the lobotomies. No, but I mean, they were yeah. doing
0: more lobotomies. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I said, this comes out of desperation. Desperation is the worst situation you can put on any type of infrastructure at all because it's just going to collapse into a just crazy fire. You know, so and um, they were looking in like the the forties the medical community was looking for a permanent fix to this crisis of mel- mental health facilities. Uh, at this point, the population of the hospital in like the forties was 23 to 2,500 people in a building for 450. Yeah. Like this is just unfricking real. Um, a total of uh, 278 people died at the hospital in 1939 in one year. 278 people that's literally almost two thirds of what the occupancy of it naturally being right. You know, I mean, it's just stunning and um, you know, medical science at this time saw lobotomies as a cure for anyone's insanity and uh, also a way to stop the deaths. Uh, neurology experts often called uh, danger or Danvers uh, state hospital, the birthplace of the prefrontal lobotomy yeah like that's where where it started and the moniker came from its widespread use but also from the procedures refinement at that hospital and uh visitors the danvers state hospital in the early 1940s reported lobotomy patients wandering aimlessly through the halls of the hospital um and at this point they were happy because the patients weren't complaining yeah you know so you just had these droids that were walking around and this is where you see that all common thing like with movies, but it was real, uh, to an extent of just them staring at walls and things like that. Just, you know, cause they've had head trauma basically. Right. Yeah. And patients walked around and just, they just drugged up days and no one would let them leave. And basically they were held against their will there. If they wanted to leave, they couldn't. And, uh, I think people really have to understand, because this is something that I thought about a lot during the COVID bit, where you had all of these drug companies pushing these drug options. Mm-hmm. You've got the federal government and the state pushing these drug options. And it's like, OK. And it's and it's interesting because the ones who were towing the line for it and saying you need to do this and you need to do that. Well, what about these state hospitals back in the day in the 40s. Yeah. Because they were they telling the everybody. They did the same You got to do They did the same as this is the answer. Yep. And if you don't agree with this, you don't agree with us. Yeah. We're the scientific community. Yeah. We're smarter than you. Yeah. We know better than you.
1: Trust the science.
0: Yeah. Trust the science, you know, and it's fine. I think you should be able to trust the science if you can debate the science. Right. Because that's how science works. If you can debate the science and you can have that healthy debate, and there can be criticizing of mm-hmm. a method or criticizing of a result that's healthy. And that's honestly what science needs. And that didn't happen during COVID. No. There was no criticize. If you stepped out of line and criticized, you lost your job. Yep. You lost your com- your company. Yep. You lost, you know, your kids couldn't get education. mm mm-hmm. It was fucking insane. Mm-hmm. And this is where I sit there and everybody's, you know, oh, we're going to be a better people and we're heading into a direction that's a utopia and all that. It's like, no, dog, we're the same exact person 40 years ago, 100 years ago, Mm -hmm. 200 years Mm ago, 1,000 years ago. We haven't learned anything. Well, no, we're just human beings and everybody just has to understand that. It's like Dean. We can domesticate him all crazy. You know, we can domesticate him up to nothing. At the end, he's a dog. Yeah. And he's going to do dog things. Yeah. And there's going to be a point where all that domestication switches off and he turns into a dog. It's like when I laid with him and I just wanted to pet him Mm -hmm. and he thought I was going to take his toy away and he just grumpy at me. It's like, dude, even if I I took your toy away, I'm going to give you a better one. It's what I always do, you know, but he's a dog at the end of the day. And and this is uh, you know, so this is where the activism started, you know, because the lack of funding continued. Mm -hmm. The buildings fell into disrepair. Yeah. All these conditions are worse, and then the state intervened. And as you're aware, you know, portions of Danvers was shut down in 1969, most of it closed in nineteen eighty five before a permanent shutdown in nineteen ninety two. And then so, it,
1: yeah, 91, they decided to shut it down. Yeah. And then in 92, the last patients and employees were transferred from Dansbury to yeah. Tewksbury State Hospital. And that was on June twenty. So you had
0: a lot of people who lost their jobs. You had a lot of people that were— So? Yeah. In— 2005.
1: 1992 to 2006, oh. the campus was abandoned. hmm In 2005, Avalon Bay purchases the property from the state of Massachusetts for $18.1 million. That's
0: a development company.
1: Yep, to use it as apartments and condominiums. In 2006, Avalon Bay demolishes all the buildings and leaves only the main administration building and the D&G wings, the exterior front, uh, front facade shells. And then in 2008, Avalon Bay starts accepting tenants, and the site is known as Avalon Danvers. In twenty fourteen, Avalon Bay sells the property to Boston uh based firm DSS DSF Group mm-hmm. for one hundred and eight point five million dollars. And DSF Group renames the property twice since ownership, once under Halstead Danvers and now known as Bradley Danvers.
0: Now here's the here's the interesting part of that though. They spent all that money on that. The state got all that money back.
1: And then some. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, again, this is like stuff that people won't talk about, you know, and then here I'm going to I'm going to save you the research because I know you won't do it. You'll just be emotionally fucking crazy. But everybody thinks that one political party did this. I did the research in Massachusetts for the longest time. It was a Republican governor, a Democrat, Republican, Democrat, on, off, on, off, back and forth all the way through pretty much the whole history of this state institution through right. there from late 1800s. Yeah, to, so you
1: can't just, so say you can't it, just it sit there and say it wonder, was one political
0: party yep. or whatever. It was the whole state. You know, the whole state ended up getting involved in this. But yeah, right. at the end of the day, the state won. Yeah. I hate to say it, but the state won on this whole thing yeah. because they basically.
1: They recouped their money. They
0: recouped their money tenfold. And then some. I mean, granted, they wasted a lot of it. Yes, on the interim, yes. you know, and I'm sure the expenses were freaking mind-boggling. But, but even that, uh, you know, this whole, again, this whole utopia idea, like we talk about it a lot with cults, where you know, like the communal living, yeah. and all that stuff. Man, it sounds great on paper,
1: yeah, and For that's sitting what it is. On paper, it's never going to be more than it is on paper. But it
0: never freaking no. works. It because never works at all. People. Yeah. 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 And that's, you know, for example, there's a lot of history that's coming out on like Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I hate to beat up on Native Americans because they get beat up enough. Mm-hmm. But there was this portion of history, especially when we were in like high school, you know, this is like 90s, getting into like mid 90s, late 90s, where a lot of these books were coming out and they were like, man, you know, it was just peaceful here in North America. In South America until the European came. It was just all peace, love, and harmony. Oh, you I don't know. think that's and that's accurate. This, at know, all. Oh no, but this is what they drill into a lot of college students and universities. And I have a book. I have a book down here. Or it used to be down here. Um maybe it's in one of the other freaking book bookcases we have. Yeah. But uh, no, it's this it's this story of, you know, and I say it's a story, it's not a historical book at all. Um, aside from dates and when things were. But, but oh, yeah, no, it was peace and harmony, and they had the whole civilizations figured out and all this other stuff, and, you know, there was no war. It was just all peace and blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's like, no, that didn't happen. And now the stories are starting to come out where you had the warring tribes, and, oh, yeah. you know, you had this lack of property view, and this is communal yeah. living where it's just like, okay, if you don't have property, then I can just take your daughter, you know, and you can give me you know five pelts for it or whatever. I give and
1: you I give you beads and wampum.
0: Wampum. yeah, you know, but but this is this is a situation where, yeah, communal living just doesn't work. No. even in this hospital, no. like at the end of the day, they couldn't stay self-sustaining. and that was the sell to them mm-hmm. is that we're gonna be self-sustaining. And then it changed. And again, the big part in the beginning, was it became custodial and not curative. Yeah. And that's the big thing to look at that. And for any future budding person that's trying to come up with the great idea of fixing this or making this a solution again and not making the same mistake that everyone else has is you've got to create it to be custodial. Right. You know, it's the same thing with prisons. Mm -hmm. Prisons. Oh, it's going to be reformative. Not custodial. It's, custodial. it's custodial. It's custodial. You gotta
1: look at everything as custodial. Yeah.
0: Cause you know, you're gonna have a large part of that population that's never gonna leave. No. They might leave now, but They'll they're gonna back. come back. Yeah. You know, because it's not as reformative as you think it's no. gonna be. But one last kind of uh cool take on this whole mm-hmm. bit or how it resolved out. So yeah, you get the um Avalon Danvers apartments, yeah. it becomes, you know, and uh you know I wonder
1: how haunted it is.
0: Yeah, you know, you wonder. Um, they refer to it as the Hell House on the Hill (laughs) is one of several unkind yet accurate nicknames for Danvers State Hospital. It looks brand new, um, but its reputation remains. Um, Horror novelist H.P. Lovecraft used Danvers as the inspiration for his Arkham Sanitarium. Mm -hmm. And DC Comics latched onto the name, and that's where they created Arkham Asylum. So so that was the backdrop of Batman's villains and like where they all came from. So if you're a huge Batman fan right. and you are obviously familiar with the Arkham Asylum part of the whole genre and mm-hmm. the whole story, that's a bit of a background that that originally came from Danvers State Hospital.
1: So according to an article published in Newsbreak Original, the um, Danvers State Hospital grounds Are, quote, unquote, still haunted.
0: Well, they have... um,
1: Even though, you know, much of it was demolished. They
0: have two nearby cemeteries Mm -hmm. uh, that actually contain 770 bodies, they say. Yep, yep. And um, some of the headstones just have numbers as opposed to names because they just, they didn't know who they were or didn't have the time or, you know, whatever. You in know, 1980,
1: there was a report that 115 patients disappeared in only three months.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, here's a good here's a good question with all this. So, like, earlier you had uh, California mm-hmm. and um, I think it was San Francisco. I can't remember which city it was. Uh, it was either San Francisco or L.A. And they had, you know, the huge homeless problem, the tent cities, all mm-hmm. that stuff. And you have all the residents complaining, like, you know, you really need to do something about this. You know, they're talking to the state and you right. know the city and the state and the governor and all that. And they're all like, yeah, no, you know, we can't do anything about it. You know, it's complicated. Really can't do anything about it. Then Xi Jinping comes to visit California yeah. from China. Clean
1: it all up. And they
0: clean the whole city up in less than a week. Mm-hmm. They're all gone. Yep. My big question is, where the hell did they go? Yeah. What did they do with them? lost you know, them out. This is an old thing they used to do at Saratoga Springs. Yeah. Here's something people don't know about, you know, me being a local for all my life at at Saratoga Springs. I don't know what they're doing now, but I know for 20, close to 30 years of my lifetime, what they would do is they would get all of the homeless in Saratoga Springs during the month of July and specifically August, because that's when Saratoga Raceway, the horse track opens. And they would put them in jail and they'd feed them, yep. you know, and
1: they were getting three hots and a cop. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it was so Saratoga wouldn't see that. Right. The people traveling to visit. And then, and then after the racing season and the summer season's over Bye. bye put them back out again. Bye. Yeah. And I don't know if it was uh jail or something, but somebody very inside on Saratoga Springs told me that when I used to work yeah. down there. And, uh, and yeah, you you notice it. It's something you don't think Pay about. Pay attention to. But, but you yeah. notice it at some point and you look. But, yeah, like the one in California, I mean, that was drastic. Like, you had this tent city full of drugs and needles and shit and piss and just all that. And then, yeah, the president from China or, you know, the Xi Jinping from China comes to show up. And not only is it spotless clean, they got fences up on the road, you know, yep. and all this other stuff. And I tell you what, man, if I lived there— and I had to walk for my commute through all that bullshit to get yep. to work for years. It's not like it was months. Yeah. Fucking years.
1: When nothing could be done.
0: When nothing could be done. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of days, the whole thing's clean up for a Chinese dictator. Yeah. Really? Fuck you, dude. Yeah, no shit, man. <laughs> I would fucking, oh my God. And I. that's where I sit and like, I get upset about stuff with New York, but it's like, holy cow. But. Uh, we're heading there. Yeah. You know, so yeah, Danvers State Hospital. Yep. Unfortunately, folks, we don't have the next episode <laughs> planned out yet. It's going to be a surprise. You know, yeah, yeah, but to give some, some edge on where we're going, yeah, we have uh, a couple Mondays left of the month after yep. this. And uh, so we'll stick to our usual horror theme uh, and then we'll do the holy month. After that. So we'll have our more uh, Holy Month geared uh, stories. Yep. And facts and tales Mm -hmm. and and whatnot. So that's uh, what you have in store in front of you. But Mm -hmm. yeah, normally we have our little Normally we have
1: our shit together, but we don't.
0: No, we got to. Because,
1: you know, we broke that routine. Yeah. Somebody somebody railed on for... For a little hot minute about how we're out of the routine. Here you go. Yeah,
0: no, this is stuff that falls through the cracks. But but glad we're doing it, and um, it looks like people are glad we're back because we got a lot of downloads. And we did all we that did. stuff. So um, uh, I'm I just,
1: still trying to be active in the Facebook group. Yeah,
0: yeah. Give uh, you something. I'll try to be participant in the other ones. But uh, but no, thank you so much for uh, sticking with us, and yeah. uh, thank you so much for returning. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to see that, uh, this is still, uh, still interesting to some. Right. Uh, yeah. We can keep going, man. We can
1: keep doing this man.
0: keep doing it a little longer. So with that being said, rule number one.
1: <sighs> no Ouija boards. Yeah.
0: Number two. No dolls. No. Three.
1: No capes. Yeah. Four. No blood rituals. No,
0: no, it's not a good idea. It's not. It doesn't really end well.
1: And and if you're going to do it, don't slice the palm of your hand. There's so many other places you can draw blood. Don't even get me started. I know. that I do that for you.
0: I know. Because I
1: know it's your biggest pet peeve. And and they do it in every single show or movie.
0: Let me me cut the most functional part of my body. Yeah.
1: The thing you use the most.
0: For dramatic effect. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Uh, it's so you can put your palms together We yeah. can be like blood brothers you know, it's
0: So you, you, everybody knows you're into the ritual business Yeah you know, Or you're sad and like to hurt yourself
1: <laughs> Well, that's usually down here <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah Number five
1: No cults, satanic or otherwise Yeah, if
0: you don't believe it We got some cult episodes Oh, seriously yeah. We got
1: a couple years of them Check
0: the catalog We've learned nothing You can just check the last one <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Number six
1: no apathy. You need to act to help enact a positive change in this world.
0: Definitely. Start I can, local. <laughs> man, start. There's a lot of people that need help around you. There are. And sometimes it's just listening. Yeah. You know, listen to somebody and, you know, they just need to vent a little bit. Yep. You know, or even more, I look at this is if someone does something that piss you off, you got to just think maybe, just maybe they're having a bad day. Yeah. And just, just be Elsa. And just let it let go. Let it go. <laughs> just let it go, man. You know, I, I learned that a lot in the last few months. I've tried very hard not to let that be something external that I would push onto other people. And I know I wasn't the best at it. There was a couple of times I know I let go, but I instantly tried to catch myself and be like, look, I'm sorry. I just got a lot of stuff going on. I know it's not an excuse, but... You know, I think, yeah, we all need to do that a bit. Yeah. Somebody says something stupid. Somebody says something offensive. Just walk away. Yep. You know, as a as a real famous person who shall remain nameless, but if people know him, they know who I'm talking about. You just take it on the cheek and you just keep going, you know. And uh, that's old advice 2,000 years ago. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's uh it's it's definitely it's definitely needed mm-hmm. to just let it let it go.
1: Yep. Be nice. Next rule. Don't engage with black identities. No. None of them.
0: No. You know, I was thinking about that episode a few days ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just weird.
1: Mhm. It's real weird. And what's funny is in the podcasts I listened to there were two episodes on uh, Two different podcasted episodes on black-eyed
0: entities. You know, what's weird about it, and this is what I was thinking a couple years ago, like, there's a lot of things I wouldn't mind happening to me. Like, to see a UFO Mm -hmm. or an alien, I wouldn't mind that. You know, that has some resolve to it. See a Sasquatch, Mm -hmm. be pretty crazy. Probably be scared as fuck. Mm -hmm. But still, be cool with it. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of things I wouldn't mind. But that... I don't want to see. Nope. Because again, nope. As I've, we've talked about in the past, like humans have this thing in their biology where if they see something they don't know how to process, they just freeze. Yeah. You know, there's no running, there's no nothing, and that's proved story after story with aliens and you know cryptics and cryptids and all that stuff. They just, it's the same thing. They're like, I just didn't know what to do, because you're you can't process mm-hmm. that. You don't know what to do. You've never seen something like that. I know that would be the same thing. However, I hope the one that comes to my door has an apple they want mustard on it because then that'll snap me out of it and be like, no, I can't, I can't do this. And if you don't know what that means, you got to listen to our black Eyed children episode. Yeah. Next room.
1: Just listen. Yeah.
0: Which these folks do. Sure do. Yeah. They're in it this long. Yeah. So with that being said, has an, have an amazing day, a lovely week.
1: And make good choices.
0: <laughs> Take care.